Welcome back to Office Politics. I am your host, Jasmine Reed Clark, and this is the space where we talk about life after the offer letter. In today's episode, I am sitting down with Whitney, the creator of Eco Vegan Gal, a podcast host of This Is Going to Get Uncomfortable, a social media advisor, vegan book author, and well being coach. And we're going to talk about all the things that happen with really trying to better ourselves, our society's obsession with metrics and beauty standards, and how a lot of these things can show up in our own professional lives. This is going to be the last episode in my wellness collection, and next week we will be taking a quick break just for a week, but I will be giving you a sneak peek for what you can look forward to in the next collection. With that, I'm really excited for this episode, and I hope you fall in love with Whitney just as much as I did. Enjoy. Whitney, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So while I think most listeners who are familiar with you and your expertise likely know you from your popular online presence as a healthy living and wellness expert, I would love to catch everyone else up to speed. So I know you have a really brilliant story um, and it exceeds the last couple of years, but tell us a little bit about your background and what you've been up to in recent years. Wow. Uh, things have certainly pivoted for me. Uh, I think they have for many people in the past year mm-hmm. and a half. And it was already starting to happen before COVID started. I remember at the beginning of, of 2020, I was reflecting on the fact that I didn't feel in alignment with what I had been doing. Mm-hmm. And not not entirely. I didn't like want to stop everything or do this huge transition. One thing that started to bother me was the username or moniker, whatever you want to call it, that I'd been using for many years uh, since 2008, to be exact, is called Eco Vegan Gal. And I started that as a small hobby blog and uh, never expected, as I, I don't think anybody back then did, for social media to become such a big thing. Back Mm -hmm. in 2008, I was still working in the film industry and that was my big passion. But as a personal interest, I was really into veganism and really, and still am, (laughs) shouldn't just say was, (laughs) at the time it was like all I wanted to talk about. And I I was really into eco-friendly living and to the point where I was driving people crazy. So I, I started the blog just as an outlet as I I think so many people can relate to, whether it's a podcast or now Mm -hmm. social media. And I had been working in the film industry and really enjoyed photography. So as social media started to grow, it just felt like the perfect place for me to post things. And that username back then was what most people were doing. And it felt really cool to have like this identity as eco vegan gal. But over time, as my work evolved, I started to feel out of alignment with that name. And now I cringe. Like, I really don't like it when people use that name. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, A, I, I mean, I totally get that. I, I think when we all first got on social media, we had like 
cheesy or like, like, you know, like the handles. Um, but I, I it's like having an AOL username for anyone who used that. Like, I mean, all the embarrassing characters that you might put together as a teenager, which is fine, but you know, as you mature, as you evolve, it just doesn't fit anymore. And that I was really feeling it in the past two years. So to answer your question, I just like really wanted to move away from that name because it just no longer suits me. Absolutely. And I know we'll dig a little bit deeper into current projects, but out of curiosity, when you are building that online presence, do you have those like crossroad moments where you feel almost like trapped by the name and you're like, damn, I've already built this following under this, um, in this lane, I I can't step outside and try something new. No, but I, in a way I can relate to that feeling because I think it's such a common thing and it reminds me of a lot of, of thought processes that I ponder and, and notice because I also do work supporting other people with social media. And, and I don't know where that came from Mm -hmm. this mentality that if you do something, you, you, you have to stick with it and you can never change, you know, (laughs) and like, God forbid you want to do something different with your life. Uh, you feel like you have to like make this big announcement or you, or to your point, there's this huge fear. Like I'm going to lose everything that I built Mm -hmm. if I change. And I think that's so constricting and it, 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 kind of breaks my heart because <laughs> I've, I've felt that, but I, I don't believe it. If that makes sense. It's kind of like, um, I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I've, I've, as many people do, will look at myself sometimes and feel unsatisfied with the way that I look and want to shift things. And then I'll catch myself in that thought process and say, okay, why am I even thinking this? Like, is this actually real? Who Mm, planted uh this idea in my head? And do I, does it even serve me to believe this? I love what you said. I have on my notes here to talk about this, but we can just jump right into this. I had one of those breakdown in the car moments at Trader Joe's because I'm a millennial. And I was, for me, it was this, um, just feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm burning from, I forget how the idiom goes, but basically I'm doing too much and I've overcommitted myself and just feeling like I was dropping the ball, like left, right and forward. And then I was in that moment of spiraling. I had the way that I was able to bring myself out of it beyond crying. Cause sometimes I do just think we need a good cry. I was like, jazz, I think you're living it's almost like there's two different realities I shift between. And one is real of things that are factual. And then I go into this like in introspective, fantastical land where I'll be candid. Like it's plagued by anxiety of like, I have to get this done and I can't let this person down. And I, you know, all of these other things. Um, but I know one thing I've been working on with my therapist are different exercises to ground me and mindfulness and to like bring me back into reality so that I'm not honestly just like living in a state of spiral. Yeah. And that is such a common experience that millennials like us experience. And then 
Gen Z, I think, is really confronting that right now. I just watched the Bo Burnham special on Netflix <gasps> called Inside. Yes. Have you seen yes. that? No, it's on my to-do list. I <gasps> am obsessed with Bo Burnham. I've seen him live. Oh. <laughs> I am a huge fan. Huge fan. Oh, my gosh. It is so life-changing. I've watched it three times, and I think oh it's God. been out for a week since, you know, as of the time that we're recording this in early June, I, I actually, I, I watched it the second and third time to talk about on my podcast. So I really wanted to like pick it apart and understand it, but I, I could easily watch it a fourth and probably more times oh because it addresses a lot of these things. And he's a millennial as well. So, you know, t- to this point of what the generations are experiencing, there's certainly a lot of gray areas. And I reflect a lot on that. I'm not somebody that wants to take this stance. I don't, I don't even fully identify as a millennial, if if that makes sense. Like I feel like that in itself is so limiting to, Mm -hmm, to just mm -hmm. like classify yourself based on age. And I'm I'm very like anti-ageism. I don't like any of the isms. (laughs) Like I don't like anything that like makes a judgment on us based on like what we look like, how old we are, what our gender is. All of those things are, are so silly and, Fortunately, oh we're in a time where people are are open to shifting that. But I even see Gen Z struggling, like the j- younger generation. Oh, yeah. It's like they have that awareness. And I that's why this Bo Burnham special is so fascinating because he's pointing out these things that he's aware of but also struggling with, just to your point. It's like you can catch yourself in the spiral, but we're still like in it on some level or not. It's just a matter of how deep we spiral through. Right. And I'm, and I, um, I think about this a lot. Like if our parents tried to pursue the American dream of like a white picket, like things that are very material, I'm curious if our generation's American dream quote unquote is just to have like mental stability. At least that is my personal dream. But, um, But I would love to know, like, even prior to your own online health journey that you began sharing, and and I know it has since shifted, um, what was your relationship like with mental and physical health before you got into veganism and healthy living? It was a big part of it. I have had a big passion for psychology since I was in high school. I That was like my favorite class. And I had this amazing... Psych- psychology teacher. And then I minored in it when I was in film school because I was just so intrigued and I wanted to understand like why we do things mm-hmm. and how the brain works <laughs> and the history. And I took so many classes on it. It's super fascinating. But I really wish sometimes that I had pursued a degree in that. Like I could see myself yeah. being a therapist or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do that in my own way through my work and In addition to online content, I do well-being coaching and I wouldn't be surprised if over time that becomes my main career because it brings me so much satisfaction. And for my personal experience with that, as it really began when I was a um, freshman in college, I was really working through and confronting my disordered eating Mm -hmm. and I was, um, what's the term, uh, referred to a, a psychiatrist uh, and she changed my life in some huge ways. Um, I went because I was simultaneously struggling with the disordered eating, but also 
experiencing my first bout of anxiety or depression. I don't even know what it was exactly. It was just like a mental health challenge that I was having to the point where I felt like I was breaking down. I thought, do I have to drop out of college? Like, I don't know how to handle this. And this incredible woman in Boston, Massachusetts supported me through it. And she actually guided me through a lot of the mental elements of my disordered eating that stuck with me ever since. I experimented with antidepressants, even though I didn't really want to take them. I mm-hmm. felt a little desperate too. Oh, I get it. I and that. Yeah. I eventually went off the antidepressants. I think I was only on them for like six months or something because I just deep down didn't feel like that was the path I wanted to take. So I looked for a more natural, holistic option. And that put me on the path to understanding health and wellness and well-being on a different level. So it all began in college, really. That is so interesting. I am currently, and this, you, you, you have so much more experience than I do, but I'm on a very, very similar journey and trying to find holistic natural remedies. Um, and it, for me, it's actually come from a place of, as a solopreneur, oh, my budget is a lot tighter than it was when I was working at nine to five. So whereas I would typically throw money at a problem, like, you know, oh, I'll just go buy this expensive wrinkle cream or, oh, I'll just, you know, whatever it is, like self-medicate with a bottle of rosé. I'm just like, okay, (laughs) my, I know that isn't healthy and it's not even financially scalable. So I've been doing more research in um, like the different vitamins, like what is in collagen or fillers that like we're really trying to get at and changing my diet to, to, to honestly to be healthy and just not have, um, fast food and white sugar and all of that. Now, that being said, I wanted to ask you, what are some things that you think people would be shocked to learn in in the way that natural living or a more natural approach to living can affect their performance as well as their mindfulness? Well, let's see. I haven't quite articulated this before, so I might stumble through it, but I've noticed how millennials in particular, but I, again, I also see it with the older Gen Zs right now is, um, there's a big obsession with, with this subject matter. And I think it's getting a little like, for lack of a better term out of hand, because Mm -hmm. there's this desire to be hyper-focused on the controlling our bodies. And I I think it becomes very external Mm -hmm. and I'm incredibly passionate about the internal. So external is all this food, right? Like it, it eventually becomes internal literally, but, but there's such a preoccupation. And part of this, I feel like I'm in my own bias. I live in Los Angeles. I'm a vegan. I'm in the health and wellness world. So I'm like surrounded by that. I spend a lot of time on social media. So I see all these influencers. I don't want to overgeneralize this because certainly there are people that are not as into food as the people that I tend to see in person (laughs) and online. Mm -hmm. But there's like 
this hyperfixation with getting it right, like eating the right foods oh and making sure you're not eating the quote wrong foods. And I'm not a fan of calling food right or wrong, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, like those terms. This is the shocking part, I suppose, like those terms in themselves can be so toxic for us. We become and, and this is you know coming from me with my experience in history with disordered eating. I don't want to be confined by that. And that even goes back to your first question around like feeling like we're trapped. I think we can become very trapped in a certain way of eating because we're obsessed with getting it right. Oh my and what happens for many of us is we're just like constantly on the hunt. But to your point, like many of us just need to focus on our, our mental health and well-being and Oftentimes, that's just about doing less. It's just like slowing down and not being so concerned with getting it right all the time because that becomes an obsession and it takes over your life and you're always qualifying everything you put into your body. Uh, yes. And certainly, to answer your question, a there's a huge correlation between nutrition and our mood and our work performance. Absolutely. You're going to feel better if you're hydrated. You're going to feel better <laughs> if you're eating foods that are actually full of nutrition versus like made in a lab or overcooked or, you know, just all this processing that it goes through. I've been studying that for many years and I, there's no one that says like eating a salad is bad for you, but I, I'll pause there to say that some people will qualify the salad ingredients, you know, like a salad in general doesn't sound, quote, bad. But then some people will be like, oh, like the dressing is bad or the croutons are bad mm -hmm. or the cheese is bad. Like then they'll pick apart every individual ingredient and you get to this point where you're obsessing over what you put into a salad that it's no longer pleasant to eat. And I'm no, a big fan of yeah. like enjoying your food. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important for our mental health. Exactly. So. Oh my, or, and yeah. it's, um, and the salad becomes the punishment of like, okay, yeah. well, I ate the slice of pizza. So I have to have this salad. And it's exactly that's something I'm still current, like literally as we're speaking and tr I'm sure in years to come currently trying to recondition my brain to not see everything as, um, almost like a game. Like, okay, well yep. you, okay. You get five points for eating a salad. Oh, negative 10 because you just got something else. And, and it's really something I'm having to work through. And what you said, it, it absolutely has become an obsession. And I know in the last year alone, I had to confront, I really thought I had left my disordered eating behind in high school and college. Um, and then in 2020, I started binge eating again and it got completely out of control, which for me personally, I think my binge eating came from, okay, well, I can't control what's happening in this global pandemic. Yes. So I'm going to eat and drink any and everything and really having to start from those basics. And, um, when things were, really yeah. And that's, yeah. that's mm -hmm. a huge realization to have. Mm -hmm. I just want to acknowledge yeah. that within you because, I, that's very similar for for my own experience with with my disordered eating. I haven't experienced it. It hasn't been triggered by the pandemic, mm -hmm. but w just you talking about how you felt like you were in more control over 
the way that you were eating when everything else in the world didn't feel like in control. Like that was at the root of my disorder, especially when I was a teenager in college. It was like, it felt so comforting to behave in disordered eating because it was a sense of control. And actually, I want to ask you because I haven't been able to have this conversation with too many people growing up. Did you feel like it was glamorized? Because I remember watching, and I've written about this at length, but I remember thinking I got a sense of like superiority when I was Mm. able to restrict my calories to like 500 and 400 calories a day. Um, And I swear, and, and I do want to acknowledge... I think the directors and producers of Lifetime movies and um, different things, I, I think their heart was in the right place and it was goodwilled and they weren't trying to glamorize eating disorders, but it did almost seem like um, I almost learned how to do yep. certain things because I was watching it on television and then compound that by the fact that I mean, we used to see headlines like X celebrity is 98 pounds. And I'm like, oh, well, mm-hmm. damn, I guess I should be 98 pounds. And um, all the magazines, yeah. too. Like, oh. I remember I was just obsessed with getting all those magazines, whether it was like whatever teen magazine was out at the time or fitness magazine. And they would always have these sections about how to tone your abs. And I just became obsessed with that. And like the videos that you could get about like, get six pack abs if you just work out for five minutes a day. And oh my God, it breaks my heart thinking about it. And we still have that though. Mm -hmm. I mean, diet culture is still a huge, huge part of our lives. And unfortunately, Jasmine, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that because we grew up as millennials, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're now becoming bigger and bigger voices uh, as a generation. And if you don't have that awareness of how toxic that is, you're going to keep spreading that messaging to your children or to other children that are seeing you online. Even if you don't have your own, you're a role model. And so it's incredibly important to be self-aware because if you're not, you contribute to that within other people. And you, especially on social media, if you're not mindful of the words that you use, mm-hmm. there could be someone else seeing those words and buying into the diet culture and just obsessing over these things that you and I struggled with because oh, yeah. that was so in our face when we were growing up. To the point, I love that you brought this up uh, because I think whether you have a hundred followers or a hundred thousand followers, if you have anything that's external facing, so both you and I are coaches. So obviously we fall within to this category pretty easily, but even beforehand, I have had to cultivate this filter of, okay, what message could I possibly be sending? And sure, we never know what can trigger one person, but, um, There is this filter I do try to put things through, especially as it relates to diet culture. Um, How do you? How did you cultivate a um, internal sounding board within yourself, or are there certain questions you ask yourself before you post online? It's an ongoing process. Every day I'm learning more about this. I I read a ton. I (laughs) I have more to read than I know what to do with. And that feels like never ending. 
-hmm. have so many articles. I have like all these systems I put in place to keep me on track with, with it. Anytime I drive, like I'm just surrounded by some sort of nonfiction content uh, to educate myself about whatever subject matters I'm currently passionate about. And right now, body positivity and well-being and and technology and racism. I would say those four things right now are sometimes it's all at once, which is oh, really yeah. cool. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're very cuz they all kind of intersect in a lot of really interesting ways like the body positivity movement yep. I, and the roots within body. racism mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. like deeply fascinating to me as yes. a white woman. Like yes. I don't want to part I don't want to perpetuate either. I don't want to par- participate oh, of course. in diet culture or racism. So I have to be anti-racist and I have to be body positive, but I have to understand what those words mean. And I think what I'm committed to right now is not speaking about things that I don't have a a deep, confident knowledge in. And that's why if I don't Mm -hmm. commit to studying them every day, I can say things that might not be true and they're coming from my own personal biases. So I, I basically try to check myself. And if I say something I'm not sure about, I will acknowledge that. I will say, hey, I'm not sure. I haven't researched this yet versus trying to convince people that I know what I'm talking about when I don't have any data to back it up. Exactly. And that's something I I hope we all continue to to do no matter the subject matter. Um, We don't have to pretend to know it all, but to have the humility when we do have difficult conversations. Absolutely. And that transparency is very humbling too. You know, like it's not, luckily right now we're in a time where social media seems to be shifting to a more authentic, like, and not fake authentic, but authentic, authentic, (laughs) you know, like true authenticity, imperfections, as long as you're not using those things and capitalizing on them, which is the fine line, I think. And it's actually led me to posting a lot less. Like you don't see me posting much on social media. Aside from my podcast, Mm -hmm. Instagram, I don't post on my, I have two other Instagram accounts and I I don't post very much because I want to feel like what I'm posting really represents me in a deep way. And a lot of times what I want to post is frankly superficial, you know, like, do I need to post a selfie? No, unless that selfie represents something that I'm actually (laughs) trying to convey to people that improves their lives, you know, but this, I've been studying things like the selfie recently. There's actually a fantastic book called selfie that I highly recommend that gets into like the history of millennials and like the, this whole generation's desire to get validation and how we were raised uh, but I also started reading a research paper just in the past week about selfies and why we post them. And the more I read that, the more I'm thinking, gosh, like, I don't feel the need to just get validation through my appearance right now. Oh, yeah. um, but I think yeah. a lot of younger people do. So in a way, by not posting selfies as, you know, I'm not saying I never do them, but like by doing them less frequently... <laughs> Hopefully I'm, I'm participating in sending a message of like, Hey, you're more than your appearance. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm really stand behind. Like if we want, especially as women or anyone who identifies as a woman, I think it's incredibly important that, that people know that we're human beings with 
deep thoughts and emotions and not just a pretty face or a nice body. Oh my gosh, that is everything. And that, and I love what you said about it's not even like the curated authenticity because I I think that's what we had seen a lot of um, prior to 2020. Um, But that's fascinating. So I'll put that in the show notes. And clearly you are committed to doing the work to read, learn, listen, have these conversations with humility. Um, For somebody who's listening who might think, oh, well, I would love to take a more positive shift into the right direction when it comes to the relationship with my body or the relationship I have towards other people or other women. Um, what are some of those first steps you would encourage others to to take if they want to have a healthier, uh, a healthier lifestyle with, and when I say healthier lifestyle, I mean truly holistically like mind, body, and soul. Honestly, I think one of the best things that we can do is spend less time online or <laughs> yeah. spend less time on our screens. Obviously, I'm a big advocate for podcasts and yeah. audiobooks. So it's like, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, there there is a lot of data that shows that listening to audio on your devices has a very different impact than staring at a screen. So you can put on a podcast like this one and put your phone away and just listen to it without this, the, any sort of screen interaction. Unfortunately, like I would love to ask the listener right now, like, are you trying to multitask while listening oh, to this? Oh, damn. You know? Okay. Girl, <laughs> like how many people are scrolling? Out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how many people are scrolling through Instagram or, or a website and not really listening? And I'm not saying that from like an ego perspective of like, Hey, you need to listen to me and Jasmine. It's like, yeah. No, yeah. no, if you're going to consume something, like do it fully. And I would say the exception to that would be certain tasks. Like I like to drive and listen to audiobooks and podcasts. And I right. feel like it's a meditation in a way. Um, I'll listen to them when I'm doing chores, doing the dishes, whatever. And technically that's multitasking. If you can avoid it, uh, that's ideal. And and actually forcing yourself into doing less on your devices is one of the most important things that we can do collectively right now, which is interesting for me as someone who's most of my career is online. And I'm actually trying to focus more and more on audio only content for that reason, because I don't want to like encourage people to consume video content and also simultaneously, simultaneously tell them not to be on staring at a screen. Okay, this is wild. Uh, I'm having a moment because I completely understand that. um, Oh, man. Like you want to practice what you preach and you don't want to dilute your message. And also you just want to take care of yourself with or without a business, right? Um, So that is really interesting. And I think after this call, (laughs) I'll probably (laughs) maybe redesign a few things because I, I don't want to be complicit in the problem either. It's huge. And it's hard, Jasmine. Mm -hmm. Like I, I need to right now in my life, really sit down and create a system for it. Because a few months ago, I did this, I think it was called the National Day of Unplugging. And it was a 24-hour period, collective, I don't know if it was just in the US or in the the world, but a whole day from uh, sunset to sunset. So I think it started on Friday at sunset, and it was supposed to continue through a Saturday at sunset. Um, And 
fully off devices. And I thought, great, I'm going to do this. It was so hard for me. I couldn't believe it. I honestly did not know what to do when I put my computer and phone away. Like I was shocked, Jasmine, that time slowed down, which was really cool. If you're (laughs) feeling like you are overloaded, you're busy, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed. When you shut down your devices, you will be shocked at how slow time goes by. Like an hour felt like an eternity to me without a device. And I mean, no TV as well. Like I truly used no technology and it was like, what do I do with myself? I I didn't even know where to begin, Jasmine. And that to me was the wake up call. Like, okay, my life is way too connected to technology right now. What is that doing for me? How is that affecting my nervous system? Yeah, I'm also why we expect more from technology and less from each other. I just started reading it and it is blowing my mind in very uncomfortable ways because it's confronting what has changed in just the past 30 years in terms of our relationship with technology. So for millennials, you know, we have experienced most of our life with technology in all sorts of ways that have been subtle. And now we're at a point where it's deeply affecting our relationships with other human beings for the worse. And this, this book is like talking about how it's very likely that we're going to start developing actual romantic relationships with AI and robots, kind of like that movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. (laughs) Like that is not a far-fetched thing because as human beings, we're starting to see that technology is so much more comforting and, and it allows us to avoid discomfort and get what we want and then leave and now we're starting to treat other human beings that way. So we're going to get to this point where oh. we're literally alone with technology if we don't consciously shift that. And, you know, I'm not an expert in that. I will, full disclosure, I'm just reading about this. But it's it's like, wow, that actually doesn't seem far-fetched anymore, given how much time we all spend on devices. Completely. It, um, it kind of reminds me of um, Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance. And just, um, I think there were a bunch of studies of really the fact that, and I know we're talking about falling in love with AI versus falling in love with someone through technology, but just the fact that we'll swipe and swipe or like we have a date that's like meh and we'll just like completely yep. disregard people because as well, it's like online shopping. Well, I'm going to keep searching and searching and you're right. I mean, when you first say it, it's laughable, but it doesn't take long to sit with the idea to see um, how convenient that would be. And, when- and we're in a, a loneliness epidemic, right? I mean, this is this is huge. Like the pandemic, I think, has really shown this, uh, revealed it to us collectively, how lonely many people are. And I, I see this a lot. I, in, in my inadvertent research on TikTok, I spent a lot of time on there and I feel Me too. Me too. very connected to other millennials and I feel more understanding of what Gen Z is going through. And if I had to summarize the experience on TikTok of what I observe in other people, I would say they're lonely. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think loneliness is going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And that's greatly connected to our mental health because people make decisions out of like this desperate need to relieve themselves from loneliness. And 
to your point, that can involve swiping through these apps and creating connections with people that we don't even really want to be with, but we're with them because we're lonely. And then we view them as disposable because we met them through an app and we can just swipe to somebody else. And that's causing people's self-esteem to to crumble. And it's like, just talking about it, it feels painful to me. Completely. And then it even goes back to the whole conversation we had earlier about selfies and external validation. And I would be totally lying if there wasn't, if I didn't have moments scattered throughout my life where I know I can like think back even just a few months ago where it was like, I was bored, lonely, had nothing to do. Uh, I think my husband was out of town. So I was like, I'm going to post a picture of myself because I would love people to comment and then start a conversation and um, craving that superficial uh, brand of connection is is really just a part of everyday life, it seems. Yeah. And, and how do you feel when somebody comments on your selfie? In that moment? Truly. You know what's so funny? The older I get, the more I it, it, I feel desensitized to it, but I know a mm-hmm. few years ago I would have been like, oh, okay, so I am pretty or, oh, okay, I am having fun because it's uh, – But on a deep yeah. level, like would it sustain or is it a, a temporary feeling? Temporary. There's no way that sustains, at least for me. And, yeah, and me too. And that's part of the reason I don't post as many. Oh. I just feel like even – I went back to my – my newer Instagram account, which is the username I'm starting to use more, Wit Lauritsen instead of Eco Vegan Gal. And when I first started that account, I didn't even know what to post. So I was like, all right, well, people tend to like photos. So I'll post photos. Like I'm trying to like talk about more who I am, but like I feel so uncomfortable ha- posting photos of myself and not because I don't, it's not like I, um, not in, liking the way that I look, which mm-hmm. again, sometimes I like the way that I look. Sometimes I don't. That's kind of a, a naturally yeah. human experience. Right. Um, but I would also try to post photos that didn't show me wearing makeup or wearing nice clothes or perfect hair. And I, I committed to not using filters and that was really hard for me, but I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to show up as I am and post this photo. I'm going to take one photo, yes. maybe oh, two, damn, but like, damn, I'm not going to take 10 plus photos to yes. try to get the right angle. I'm just going to show myself as I am in this moment, which was a good exercise for me. And then like, I got over that desire. And I think part of it, Jasmine is because I didn't want people to comment to my appearance. Truly. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to tell me that I helped them. I want someone to tell me that they liked my podcast. I want someone to tell me that like, I, you know, they, whatever, like something about my personality. And it, you know, it's funny, Jasmine, it's so hard to even think of the type of comments I would prefer over appearance because we're so used to hearing external comments about ourselves and giving them to others. I think we need to work on this muscle of, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. commenting on things other than appearance, basically. Boom. Oh my God. And because, uh, you are a TikTok scholar as am I, (laughs) I saw something and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's it. It was a girl. If I can find the video, I'll post it in the show notes. Regardless, she talks about the fact that the older she got, she realized less and less she was getting comments on her appearance, especially from the opposite sex. And she thought, well, damn, like, did I lose my mojo? Like what happened? And 
going back to this obsession with food and with beauty and and we've talked about the isms there's also this obsession that we have with youth and Mm -hmm. that she's realizing that at least in american culture she's losing some of that social currency now that she's entered her 30s and that is another thing i was talking to my therapist because i recently turned 30 and I don't want to have, and I love, I adore my mother. Please don't misunderstand me, but I don't want to have the same obsession that she has mm-hmm. with looking younger and feeling like, and I can already start to see my mind take that shift. And so, um, like, I, I have certain mantras of like, well, first of all, like, let's facts are facts. You are going to get older. Like, there we go. And that's a blessing. But it's like, instead of aging, um, quote unquote, beautifully, I'm trying to remind myself that you want to age gracefully and like have character and have wisdom um, and be able to be proud of the person you are when you reflect. I don't want to like look back and be someone who's like, oh, I was so beautiful when I was young. Like, so I think that's another thing that I'm catching myself in. But now that I'm seeing more rhetoric about our obsession with youth, I'm beginning to notice it more. Yeah. Oh, me too. And it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, even in Bo Burnham's special inside, uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a, there's a, a vignette about his age, which you'll probably really resonate with. And I remember watching that thinking, wow, like, first of all, he's a guy and it's kind of refreshing when guys talk about things that seem like things that, uh, uh, problems that women face, right? Like I'm like, oh, okay, men men experience this too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is interesting because it feels like so many of these uh, age and appearance related things are are limited to women, but they're definitely not. It's just maybe men don't talk about them as openly. Uh, And I I, I fully agree. Like this fixation, that's why I try not to... like emphasize my age or my generation. I talk about it in the context of like how we've evolved differently in the different stages that we're in and on our experiences. But I, I don't want to make it like, oh, you're younger than me or you're older than mm-hmm, me. Like mm-hmm. that to me feels so disempowering when we, when we put some, yeah. and when someone asks me how yeah. old I am, I'm like, why? What, yeah. like, what does that have to do? Like, you're not my doctor. <laughs> Like, you don't need to know how old I am because what context does my age have to do with anything? Oh and, and we all have examples of somebody who, quote, looks younger or acts older or is yeah. more mature, wise beyond their years. We have all these age-related uh, contextualizations that are, you know, disempowering. We have like the the 30 under 30 list of most successful people. So if you're over the over 30, then it's like, well, I can't ever be on that list anymore. Or like now I have to work really hard. I'm under 30. So I'm going to spend my entire twenties working hard. So I, I too can get the validation of being on one of those lists. And again, like from a mental health perspective, we can't control our age, to your point. Oh, my God. We should be grateful for our age. Like, it's amazing if you can make it to your 90s. Like, right. it should be a goal of ours to to just be here for as long as we want. And, you know, on that note, too, Jasmine, one thing that really shocked me about age years ago was uh, my friend and, and podcast co-host Jason had a television show called How to Live to 100. 
And it was like, he was so proud of it. He was very passionate about longevity into your question earlier. Like it was so much about like nutrition and how that impacts your health and your mood. And he's so knowledgeable on those things. And when his show came out, there was a flood of comments from people saying, well, I don't want to live to 100. Who wants to live to 100? That sounds awful. And it was like this rhetoric of, of not wanting to live to be old because people are afraid of getting old. They associate old age with unpleasant things. And I think from a mental health perspective, Jasmine, people are suffering. So they, this is also addressed in Bo Burnham's special. Uh, he's comments multiple times about how he, he might not live very long. And I think that's because mm. he's suffering internally and a lot of people are so that actually statistically, Jasmine, millennials right now, I think are the first generation. Don't quote me on this, but I, I could you go go cross references information because um, I'm not fully confident in it in all transparency. But I did read somewhere recently that millennials are the first generation where the life expectancy is lower and they believe that part of this is related to mental health. Oh, yeah. And so with millennials experiencing so much awareness around their mental health, I think some people are saying, you know, I'm suffering so much, I'm just going to end my own life mm-hmm. or I'm going to live more dangerously or I'm going to, you know, choose to eat more processed food because I don't care enough about myself. I've heard that too from millennials. Like mm-hmm. if you ask them why they're not eating us, you know, a certain way. Why do they only eat fast food? For example, I've heard from friends. Well, I don't really care that much about myself. So I'm just going to eat however I want because it doesn't matter anyways. And I think that's a bigger issue right now than we even realize because most people don't have the courage to admit that out loud. So I hope that we can have a shift where people feel proud about their ages and they want to live a long time and they're working on their mental health so that they can enjoy their lives instead of suffer and just live a self-destructive life. I, Oh my God. I have to like almost take a moment because I know for a fact, even earlier today, like I've, I've been trying to, just be more thoughtful about the things I'm putting into my body and knowing where they come from and all these things. And today when I was just stressed out and in my spiral and thankfully my husband was like, I'll make you, you know, I I swear. I know we were talking about how we, our culture demonizes salads, but my husband actually makes really good salads. And he made me one because I, I, I literally was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm I like, I don't feel good right now. So let me just like order a pizza. And it was this, um, there really is a correlation there. And I don't think I've yep. ever really heard somebody articulate it as concise, but as meaningful as you have. So I really hope everyone listening hears that. But even if not, I am hearing that. And I think I personally needed to hear that today. So thank you. You're welcome. And, you know, Jasmine, you're not alone in that. Like comfort food is, first of all, there's nothing wrong with it. So I just want to say to you and anyone else who's resonating, like, there's nothing wrong with pizza. 
Oh, yeah. You know, like, let's take away these judgments of right or wrong, healthy or unhealthy. Like, pizza's great. I love pizza. <laughs> you know, you've, I, I am vegan and I love a great vegan pizza. Like, there, there's a pizza out there for everyone. I've also, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've, I have done a lot in the, in the low carb lifestyle and there's low carb keto pizzas out there. There's, there's keto vegan yes. pizzas. Like, honestly, pizza's such an important thing to us as a society <laughs> that, everybody's figured out how to eat it and enjoy a pizza, which is awesome. Um, and I, you know, I think part of that is because it's, it is very comforting and, you know, it, it, you have to take an examination in those moments of like, are you doing this to be self-destructive or do you actually need comfort? And then ask yourself, well, is this going to bring me the comfort that I seek? Probably not. Like it, it will give you some short term comfort, much like posting a selfie and getting some validation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think what people are really seeking, Jasmine, is something long term and sustainable. Like they want to feel good every day, not just for the hour that they're enjoying the pizza or the day that they're getting a flood of of Instagram comments or you know, I also think sex is being used uh, yeah. majorly, not just for loneliness, but for comfort. Oh, People for turn sure. to sex. It feels good. And again, nothing wrong with sex. Like I'm all about like empowerment and whatever sex you want to have with whoever you choose. Like that's truly your your choice. Uh, but are you engaging in the, those acts because you're trying to fill some hole within yourself. And this is exactly why I think taking time away from our devices is so important, Jasmine, because with our society being so focused on technology, when you turn it off, the TV, the computer, your phone, your iPad or or, um, tablet, all of those things, it feels so silent. Yeah. It feels slow. It feels quiet, well, which is also the same as silent. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, but I guess actually quietness, though, can feel very different than silence in a way. Like, yeah. because it's about that, like, there's like almost like this internal quietness, I suppose, not just like the external lack of, of sound from all those devices and this, you know, the music that would play on TikTok and the commentary and the sound of your device's um, fan on your computer or whatever, like all these little things, when you just turn them off, as you hear the external silence, you start to contemplate the internal silence yeah. and you slow down and you ask yourself, well, wow, this feels a little scary and uncomfortable. Oh, and yeah. and it, oh, yeah. we have conditioned ourselves to reach for the phone in those moments. So when you when you truly... Uh, prevent yourself from doing that, you start to self-reflect and you start to ask yourself, all right, well, what else can I do? Maybe that is to go eat food. Okay. But that then suddenly when you start to eat food out of comfort and beca- boredom, perhaps like you can also tune into that experience and maybe you just need a bite of something to feel comforting. Like what if it's one slice of pizza as opposed to the whole thing? Like when you tune into yourself, yep. you start to do everything mm-hmm. more slowly with more awareness. A lot of us, because we're using devices, uh, we eat food so uh, unconsciously, like we're just like consuming it yeah. without even noticing its taste and its texture and how it makes our body feel. And it is a game changer 
when you slow everything down and you pay close attention to the things that you're doing, it tells you a lot about your needs and desires. Mm, Okay. So you took us to church. That's lovely. I think this has been amazing. And before we get into the rapid fire, I'm sure after listening, hearing your, um, just your thoughts on everything that we've, we've covered from the different isms to external validation and internal silence. Um, I'd love to know where can people keep up with you and what are the upcoming projects you have going on? Well, I the one place where you can find me, regardless of where things go for me, because you never know. Like, true, I might be off social media. Who knows? <laughs> Probably not. To be honest, I pro- I use I'm on TikTok every day, so really that's the place Ooh, to find I me. Like I, that. I, I love that. <laughs> I don't put po- I don't post that much at, as of this time, but that could also change. The best place to find me is on my website, WhitneyLauritson.com. And that has links to everything. You can email me. You can f- find my writing or in my social media and podcast and everything there. So that's that's the hub. I love it. Actually, I follow up question because you do have so many avenues for creativity and um, you wear so many hats in this season of life. What is what is the most meaningful to you? Probably my podcast and podcasting as a whole. It it's really fun. I I, there's something about it. I think it's because I'm very drawn to long form content, Mm -hmm. and in a world where so much is short form and people have short attention spans, Mm -hmm. I feel find it very satisfying to create long form content. And I always have. I put myself in this box on YouTube, which was a huge focus of my career for so long, like trying to, you know, please the algorithm and please the viewers and all that and Mm -hmm. feeling all this shame for how long my videos were. And same with TikTok. This is part of the reason I don't post on there. It's hard for me to make short form content. It's so easy for me to talk for an hour as we have or (laughs) uh, 90 minutes, which is the average length of my show. So it it brings me deep joy. And then it also connects me to amazing people like you. Just being in this podcast world, I have met incredible people, which has really helped with with preventing my own loneliness. Well, and and it's that and I feel like whenever I – it almost feels unfair when I get to do episodes, especially with people like you, because I, I walk, I always, always walk away learning something um, about myself or, you know, about the world. So it's, um, yeah, it's probably my favorite form of, if I could like just do one thing for the rest of my life, I think it, it would be bo- podcasting at least for who I am in this season. So yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Now we're going to get into the rapid fire. So I've got um, just four questions for you and you can answer them um, no matter what industry. If you want to answer one question as a coach, one question as just a person going through life, totally up to you. And the first is when was a time, either professional or personal, that you realized the right thing and the hard thing were the same? Hmm. I'm I'm wondering if... I fully agree with that statement. Ooh, yes. <laughs> go, go, go. Um, you know, I call my podcast is called This Might Get Uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I think hard things are often 
uh, seen as uncomfortable. And I don't have trouble doing hard things, but the right thing, I'm not a fan of that term because mm, I grew up in this very like perfectionist people pleasing mindset as many people have, especially millennials, by the way, it's, it's such a common experience to be a people pleaser. (laughs) And again, going back to the food, I, I just don't believe in calling something right or wrong. I'm such a gray area person, but doing hard things is very easy for me. So I would actually say that the easy thing and the hard thing are the same. Oh, damn. I love that answer. And fun fact, you are the first person to give that response. So that's really interesting. Oh, I love that. Okay. And then your favorite way to celebrate big and small wins. I'm really glad that you asked this because... I don't have an answer off the top of my head, and mm-hmm. I think it's an important answer to have. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, Perfect. because yes. I, I basically, I have a checklist, and I'm very satisfied to check things off. You know what I would say? My favorite current way in my habit is I really just love talking to somebody about it. Like, oh, like when something that. good happens in my life, I find so much joy in going to a family member, a friend, a loved one of any sorts and just saying like, hey, guess what happened? And when that person can really celebrate that win with me, it is one of the most joyful experiences. I love that. Um, Yeah. Connection is, it's fleeting these days, but that is something that is that shared experience. It really is special. Um, what is the one thing about wealth management and or business that few people know, but you wish everyone knew? Hmm. I love this question because I've been very passionate about money most of my life. And I wish more people knew that money doesn't bring you happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's a cliche thing, but I don't think you understand it until you get money of any sort. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, it's all relative. Absolutely. Um, it's similar to what we've talked about so much here. Uh, food, sex, mm-hmm. uh, valid- validation on social media. Like Money is very similar. I you often want it and you get it and then... It's very fleeting. So I wish more people understood that so that they would be less obsessed with making more money. And I I am living testimony when I was making close to six figures in corporate world is when I was my – like that's when I had like some of my worst mental health stints. So um, I agree. I I really do hope everyone – learns that or, you know, believes it without having to learn it the hard way. And then complete this sentence for us. The best way to handle a toxic work environment is to blank. Breathe. Mm-hmm. hmm <laughs> Do you have any favorite breath it's work funny because- uh, exercises? <laughs> I it's unbelievable how much breathing helps like deep breathing helps and there's a, a very classic 
process that you can do. In fact, if you have an Apple Watch and maybe the Fitbits and other devices do this, it's built in. They vibrate and they help you breathe in and breathe out. And <laughs> yeah. whatever pace you want to do it, I find counting. So I'll often count in for three seconds, hold, and then and breathe out for three seconds. And then I start to increase it. And I play around with the time and I play around with how long I hold my breath and how long I hold it out. I learned that through yoga classes and meditation classes. And it's so simple. It's free. It's available to any of us at any time. And it is truly transformative. And it's it sounds a little cliche and like, oh yeah. Hey, when you're in a toxic situation, like, oh my gosh, breath, like that's not going to help, but it, it starts helping. It's some, a place to start that you can access at any point. And that's why I think it's so powerful. I was the, like, so when I first started getting the advice to breathe, this is years ago, working with therapists and I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. But seriously, what should I do? (laughs) And after years of trying it, it's, it's like yoga. Like for years, I was like, I don't get it. Like I'm uncomfortable. I need like, I'm, I don't like this, but I think after years of breathing and yoga, it is, it's like, it really does begin to work. Um, and you found your breath work that works for you. I, uh, for me, my therapist and I, she gave me, some people call it butterfly taps. Some people call it butterfly hugs, but, um, it's like, if you Google it, you'll find it, but just you cross your hands, almost like you're making an X and then you just like tap. And for me, I do breath work with butterfly taps, but yeah, long story to say that breath work really does work and keep at it. Like if you're rolling your eyes at us right now, I promise you just stick with it. Cause I was the biggest skeptic and it, um, and it, most of the time your brain really just needs more oxygen. Like I did not realize one of my physical reactions to anxieties, I stopped breathing. So, mm-hmm. is, or you hold your breath, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I did not know for ye- uh, years. I thought everyone did that. Like you just hold your breath at all times, and um, and it was it, it was actually my therapist noticed it. Uh, she's like, I noticed you sigh a lot, and you know, and then you know that's how we started working on breath breath exercises, but. But yeah, what? yeah, it's fascinating when you tune in because mm-hmm. part of that process is just noticing how you're breathing. Yes. And most people don't even have the awareness, myself included. And I, and I want to say, as we get to the end of this, mm-hmm. is that I don't have it all figured out. Mm-mm. I don't always practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. I mess up. Life is messy in general, and that's okay. As a recovering perfectionist, I find joy whenever I realize that I'm not doing it right all the time. Mm -hmm. And so having these conversations is just as helpful to the person listening as it is to me because now I'm like, ooh, how am I breathing right now? Right. And that's why I love devices like the Apple Watch or, you know, all the, the... the technology on the plus side, it does help us with those uh, very messy human elements of ourselves because sometimes we need a reminder to breathe. And if my Apple Watch is going to remind me, like it makes my life a little bit better. Absolutely. I, uh, well, this has been, Whitney, it's been like such a treat to speak with you. I really appreciate 
you opening up your candor, your vulnerability, and just all of the advice and and thoughtfulness that you put into your answers. So again, everyone, I encourage you to check out her podcast and we will have everything in the show notes. um, So please make sure to check that out. But until then, I will talk to you guys next time. 